why the hell would anyone want to lend money to the government when they're going to be issuing a trillion dollars a quarter in uh, in in new treasuries when we're broke and we're insolvent and we're borrowing money just to pay the interest due on the bonds we already have in circulation. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics. Once again, it is that time of the week to check in with Andy Sheckman of Miles Franklin, who we will discuss all things silver and gold with. Maybe not every single thing, but some of the latest data points, a few uh, economic thoughts going on, and also check in and find out what is happening on the retail level of the silver and gold market. So, Andy, with that said, it's a pleasure to see you again today. You're looking very handsome and uh, got your glasses and hair combed and sharp, sharp guy over there. I mean, Thank you, brother. Uh, not the same zip code, but only. You know, you're you're going to be 50 one of these days, too. And then you're going to wake up one morning and look at your computer screen or your iPhones. What the what the what, what's going on? I, I can't see it. And then you're going to go out to dinner before you finally acquiesce to getting a pair of these cheaters readers and you're going to sit at dinner in a dark restaurant with a tiny print menu and wonder how can I pull this off without people knowing that I can't see a damn thing on it. So then you reach a point where you're like, I need these. And then you buy like 40 of them and find that no matter how many you have, you never have them where they should be or when you need them. And Whatever, brother. It's part of getting older, but it's better than the alternatives. At least I can see when I put the... it's funny because I can see a golf ball 300 yards away, or I can see clearly the TV screen and all the writing on it from 50 feet away. But you put something right here or right there. It's tough. It's really weird, but uh, whatever. It's not the end of the world. Well, lovely little snippet to look forward to. And Hopefully, by the time that happens, we'll have a nice big silver price in there as well. But let's uh, hope so. <clears throat> either case, uh, great to have you on in here today. And so far to start 2024, we've seen mostly declines in the gold and silver price, which uh, I was listening to a podcast over the weekend. Uh, I think it was Vince actually, and talking about stepping back from the day to day, which I try to do. And, um, I think it's interesting as opposed to some of the recent years that coming into 2024, where now we almost universally agreed upon that we are getting interest rate cuts. In fact, I will pull up a note that Zero Hedge had this morning on uh, had on Monday morning talking about Bank of America expects the Federal Reserve to announce plans to begin tapering the runoff in its Treasury holdings in March coinciding with its first 25 basis point interest rate cut. And for what it's worth, I'll go on the record as saying, I think we would see cuts post-March. Maybe the one caveat, if we see some chaos as the reverse repo tank gets drained, uh, which as you can see from that chart, seems, seems like is on track to happen. But to me, that's the big difference going into 2024 is that a lot of this is expected and i guess you could say priced in although personally my view is that when they do start cutting interest rates we might might be in for some good times in the metal section but uh how would you look at the environment going into this year as compared to what we've seen some of the past few years there andrew well I, you know, that's just it you know we, we 
we threw so much money into the marketplace over the last few years that I, I you know, igniting this, this inflation um, bomb. And I think they, you know, the fed is panicking, trying to reverse course. And that's what they've been trying to do for a long time. But I think they realized the, the problems with, uh, you know, raising rates the way that they have in, in that you have so much debt in the system, not only government debt, where here in, in last year we paid $900 billion, $900 billion just in interest payments alone, and where the consumer and the banks are are, are so loaded with, with debt that, you know, they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. And the question becomes, if they do indeed, as the market expects them to do, as they, some of them said they would do, there's a little bit of dissension in the ranks at the Fed, but if they do reignite the printing press and, and, and you know, reignite inflation, are we just going to zoom right back up again? In other words, I think they're kind of they're kind of in a in a jam. They're damned if they do, and and they're damned if if they don't. And I I think when you realize the fragility of the commercial real estate system or, or uh, industry, um, with you know at hundred and twenty or thirty billion dollars worth of loans and leases that need to be reset or refinanced this year, uh, it's it's tough. I mean, the banks are in a very very bad place right now. Uh, you know, look, we have $10 trillion in treasuries that come due this year. And in addition to the current deficits running about $2 trillion a year, in addition to, you know, the, the millions and millions of people who've entered this country illegally, that will put a strain on the system in terms of resources, medical resources and, and competition for jobs, which in and of itself will lower wages. All of these things are coming together and you know, um, I think it's going to be a very, very interesting year. I think that, you know, Janet Yellen saying we're, you know, we're, we've engineered a, a soft landing is ridiculous. Um, I think the Fed really has, would rather see inflation cool down, but the choice is either move away from tightening, let inflation start to heat back up or blow up the whole system. And I think they're choosing the lesser of two evils. So it'll be, as the Chinese curse says, may you live in interesting times. These are, these are very, very interesting times. And that's a curse, by the way. I mean, to the point where the second largest pension fund in the United States at CalPERS, you know, has $60 billion or so of, of junk bonds that, you know, are very, very subject to this exact situation where, you know, these corporations are, are dying for, for, um, funding, finding it very difficult to find it where, you know, this CalPERS organization owns lots of bonds that are rated well below, well below, um, you know, quality bonds. You're talking into the B's and C's. And if you see rates continue to rise, these are the the prime target. I mean, these, these companies that are cash starved, you will see bankruptcies, you'll see foreclosures, you'll see commercial real estate failures, and all of this lands squarely on the banks that have what, $70 billion or excuse me, $700 billion in unfunded or in, in unrealized losses rather. So, I mean, we're right on the knife's edge. So yeah, I, I think that um, they're definitely going to choose 
the printing press over the tough decisions the way that all uh, governments have. But the question is, what does that bring on? What does that do to us on the global stage? And the real question is, why the hell would anyone want to lend money to the government when they're going to be issuing a trillion dollars a quarter in, uh, in, in new treasuries when we're broke and we're insolvent and we're borrowing money just to pay the interest due on the bonds we already have in circulation. So yeah, I, I think it's in and of itself, it leads to the same place because the large institutional investors are going to demand higher interest rates for the default risk, for the inflation risk, and just for the risk of higher rates. So Either way, both roads lead to the same place. One is just more straightforward, rip off the Band-Aid, and the other is just more of the same crap. Just make it more difficult, more stimmy, uh, more debt. And each round of this stimulus, each round of, of quantitative easing brings us that much closer to that moment where the rest of the world or whomever it is says, we don't want your treasuries anymore. And then we get into what might already be happening and, 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 you know, the monetizing of the debt where the fed is really the only one naive enough to purchase debt with any maturity length of it whatsoever. So, yeah, I think 2024 is a tightrope back and uh, it'll be interesting, interesting to see how it all plays out for sure. Yeah. Lovely little set of circumstances we have going in our favor there. Uh, something I'm curious about though, is there a scenario, I'm, I'm guessing maybe not in a medium or longer term sense, but is there a particular scenario or path that governments or central banks might take that would leave you concerned, uh, perhaps just in the shorter term, or let me know otherwise, in terms of gold and silver valuations where, I mean, it was interesting last year, we kept seeing rates higher for longer and silver stayed pretty much flat throughout the year, uh, all in all. Gold continued rising, um, mm -hmm. but I mean, going back to the beginning of 2022, where we were facing 75 basis point interest rate hikes, and we saw gold and silver get clobbered pretty thoroughly. So is there something like that, a path where you would be more concerned? or No, I mean, let, let's, let's leave silver out of it for a moment, and I'll come back to it. Let's just focus on gold, because mm. you, know, you look at previous bull market cycles, it's very it's very um, common to see gold lead the way, to really lead the way above silver. But at some point, silver catches up and in fact surpasses it in terms of its uh, percentage gain. But let's, let's take a look at gold. I mean, since the start of the century, since the beginning of, the, of this century, gold has produced a almost a 8% annual return, 7.8 compared to a 7% return for the S&P 500. It's the tortoise not the hair, it continues to move higher, but let's look at, at it just since 2020. And I would argue that at some point, gold needs to normalize or to find equilibrium between the fact that at the beginning of 2020, even with the, the tapering or, or the, the quantitative tightening, the Fed's balance sheet, I believe, is still $8 trillion higher than it was then uh, at, at, at the end of 2019. So even though they are continuing to slowly sell off the assets on their balance sheet, they're a long ways away from normalizing it. But, you know, one of the, the objections is that, you know, gold doesn't perform well in a rising interest rate environment. But in 2020, we had gold at $1,773. In 2021, we had gold at 17, and this is an average price, 1773 in 2020, 1798 in 2021, 1801 in 2022, and 1943 in 2020. 23, even in an interest rate, a rising interest rate environment, gold has 
held its own. Now, if they really do move away from tightening, what will gold do then? You factor in the fact that the central banks have been using the Western suppression against us by accumulating more gold than at any time ever in the history of central banking over the last two years. Yeah, you, you, at some point, gold needs to, to accurately reflect the massive central bank buying, the huge amount of inflation in the system, you know, the epic monetary expansion that we've seen, and now the Fed moving away from uh, rising real interest rates. And so, no, I don't, the only way that they would stop it would be to do what Volcker did. And it's ironic that, you know, uh, our current Fed chief says he emulates uh, the the workings of, of Volcker, but really he 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 isn't. He's not doing any anything like Volcker did. Volcker raised interest rates to 18 and three quarters percent. That's how you stop everything. But problem is that's how you blow everything up too. And the situation in the United States is vastly different today than it was in 1980. And you don't have the ability to raise rates that high without destroying everything. And that's kind of brings us back to what we were saying earlier. I mean, at, at four or 5% rates, you start to see the second, third, and fourth largest bank failures in the history of this country, amongst others. You start to see banks wobbling. You, you start to see the whole system teetering. So they back off of that because they realize they got a little too aggressive there trying to put the genie of inflation back in the bottle. And then they realize there is no way out of this. That's the truth. And so either they they do that moment where they say, screw it, and jack rates way up and blow up the whole system, or they acquiesce. There's no middle ground. So no, I mean, and that's the micro versus the macro perspective. That's why these these gyrations, and when I say, think about that for a minute. Think of all the volatility we've seen since 2020. 1773 average, 1798 in 2021, 1801 in 2022, and 1943 in 2023. It is the tortoise. It is not the hare, but it is moving and it is keeping pace and it is performing as it's supposed to without anyone noticing. Last week or the week before, we have gold at all-time highs on the LBMA and on GLD, and they're in a damn person talking about it. So- Oh, it's, come on. We were here, buddy. Well, we, we were, but the point of it is, Chris, is that, no, I don't think there's anything they can do to stop this because this is a lot more than what happens here in North America. In fact, it's what's happening around the globe. And I think around the globe, these people view gold and silver as money. And that's why you're seeing different prices on the Shanghai Gold Exchange. That's why you're seeing deliveries out of the ETFs or exchange for physical or, or you know, Price be damned and just massive central bank acquisition. So whatever they do on this micro basis, sure. That's why, you know, I, I would I would say micro is emotional, macro is logical. You look at things from a micro perspective, you're missing the whole boat. You get all tripped out and emotional and freaked out and, and make the wrong decisions. Take a step back and, and ask yourself, the Congressional Budget Office says in seven years, every single penny of, of income tax goes just to pay the interest on the debt and mandatory entitlement spendings. That doesn't even take into account the costs of all these new immigrants, illegal immigrants, and who's going to pay for them. And, you know, at that, at that, ask yourself, how do we remain the world dominant military and financial superpower when every single penny of discretionary spending, including military, has to be borrowed? And the answer is you can't. So the macro perspective is, yeah, it may have an impact today or tomorrow or, or next month or whatever, but ask yourself how this all plays out in a few years. 
And, you know, seven years is probably more like four or five years. I don't know, but uh, I certainly don't uh, envy um, the Fed chair or the Treasury secretary's job right now, because in both cases, I don't see a way out of this without ultimately paying the piper. And we should have paid the piper in 08, and we didn't, and we papered it over. So they'll do what they've always done. They'll try to paper it over and kick the can down the road. But at some point, the realization by the rest of the world is, we don't want your money anymore. We don't want your debt anymore. And I think that's one of the reasons you've seen gold go up in the face of rising interest rates and treasury um, you know, um, yields are, we're watching the world, I think, have a, a, a good portion of the world who has been our, our creditors say, you know, I think you don't have to hold treasuries with your surplus. You can buy real commodities. And I think gold, what it's done since 2020 is a good example of that. No one, if you asked a money manager, you know, would it have been over the last four years, a good way to to safeguard your money in gold. And, and most people wouldn't even have a foggy idea on that. But from 1773 to 1943, in the last four years, it's making steady, solid gains. And I think that's the point here, is that from a historical perspective, treasury bonds are do not have a long history of being considered an asset. And I think the world is reevaluating it. And we've talked about how for the first time in 45 years, the 10-year treasury is more volatile than gold. Silver will have its day. Silver will, will slingshot. Silver is just as important from a monetary perspective in my mind as gold, but it is less recognized. It is more manipulated. It has a larger concentrated short position, but it has far more utilities and uses. It is strategic. It is far more strategic to me than it is industrial. And I think the old adage that you can only manipulate a market for a, an extended period of time is to push it in the direction that it is going. And for a long time, no one wanted these things. They just wanted treasuries and dollars and U.S.-based real estate and securities and, and whatnot. And I think those times are changing. I truly, truly do. And so, no, I don't think there's anything they can do that can derail this, but certainly they can you know, knock it, uh, knock it back a couple of steps and, and, and make people question what they're doing. And should I really be doing this? They're good at it. But ultimately, no, I don't see there's anything they can do that will have any real substantive effect on, uh, on where gold and silver will end up at the end of the year. Well, I hear you. And although on a little side note, you failed to mention one of the uses of silver, of course, is that you can make Ben Bernanke flying in a helicopter, throwing $100 bills out. You know, I have two I of those, right? I don't know if that can be done with gold. Right behind this computer, I have two of those. And I, I agree with you. I get lots of people who love to play with that propeller. And that's true. You can make things like figurines yes. with Ben Bernanke throwing $100 bills out. Yes. I agree. Spinnable, multiple spinnable propellers, one of the two of the key features. Um, although... So it sounds like in net, the cat is out of the bag. Horses I think so. Barn, yes. Cars out of the garage. The alien is out of the Miami mall or however those things go where we, we pass the threshold. Yeah, I think so. hundred percent. And, you know, look, when you talk about the market, you know, if I were to say to a, a crypto enthusiast, if I were to say, if 90% of one particular crypto is owned by the top 10% of the investors, 
10% own 90%, would would you be waiting for a rug pull? And most of them, I think, if they were honest, would say, yeah, I think that's that's a little dangerous. Well, right now, the top 10% of the wealthiest Americans own 90% of all the stocks out there. And when you compare right now, the uh, collectively compare the capitalizations of, of GLD and IAU, the big uh, uh, United States-based ETFs for, for gold, uh, versus the market capitalization total of, of the S&P 500. The S&P 500 is collectively worth 42, uh, uh, what would that be? 42,616 billion. So what's that? 4 trillion, 261 billion. I think that's right. And when you compare it to gold, it's 85 billion. That's an allocation of 0.2%. Uh, so if just a you know for all intent and purposes that's nothing, and so if you see just a a one or a two or a three percent allocation shift out of treasuries into gold and silver, you know you'll blow up the investment side. Yes, we've seen an expansion. I mean, Rick Rule talks about the entire financial matrix from Joe Sixpack to the Harvard Endowment Fund is how he phrases it, having a one half of one percent allocation. But when you actually do it versus market cap, it's in this case, you know. 0.02%. It's such a minute exposure to the wealth in this country, most of which you have no idea that it should be part of everyone's portfolio. Even 1% or 2% allocation would blow the roof off of the investable, um, you know, it would blow the roof off the price of gold just based upon this increase in investment. But um, I don't think there's anything that, that can be done at this point to derail it Long term, the world, I think, is looking at the dollar differently, looking at treasuries differently, looking at the United States fundamentally differently and looking at gold and silver differently. And Zoltan Pozar nailed it a year ago when he said, this is Bretton Woods three. This is a system that will be based upon commodities. And I, and I agree with that. People are tired of promises and opaque debt instruments. This is going to be transparency with blockchain and commodities and the era of trust and and trusting a, a sovereign entity with their you know with their promise to um, run a clean and tight monetary ship, I think those days are over. So no, whatever they do is short term at best. You have to have a long term outlook. You have to be macro minded right now, or the emotion of of the counterintuitive micro movement will drive you insane. And that is one of the things that allows me to sleep well at night. And that. Those numbers that I gave you, the slow accumulation, rising, 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 without anyone noticing the fact that it reaches all-time high in London and in GLD with very few people noticing the tiny allocations, nobody notices. That's ripe for, that's contrarian ripe for a massive um, increase in the metal. And at the same time, the most well-informed traders on the globe won't stop buying it. That's the central bank. So, you know, the little guy, the people in this country who are fixated on on U.S. equities and and traditional investments, they don't see it coming. Hard to get out of the way of what you don't see coming. And you know, um, I don't know. I, I think it's 2024 is going to be a hell of a year. We'll see what happens. Um, but no, I don't think there's anything they can do other than you know just create a little bit of a little bit of a different perception of reality for the time being or for a very short period of time ultimately doesn't change the way things are going. Well, I hear you. And 
Sounds like even if we had Andy Sheckman as Fed chair, wouldn't have an easy answer. Uh, that would be fun, though, having you as the Fed chair. Hopefully yeah, it, it would be a very difficult topic. job. You would definitely be my right-hand man. Standard? No question. Yeah, get that, get that dollar back on a silver standard, so... Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think it's important for people to understand that we're being lied to constantly. You know, uh, John Williams of Shadow Stats does such a great job of telling us what inflation really is. And a lot of the metrics they use are based upon inflation and um, uh, and labor, you know, and, and the inflation numbers are ridiculous. At 1980 numbers were at 10 percent. 1990 were at about nine, eight or nine percent inflation, not the bogus inflation numbers they would have us believe. But, you know, most people didn't quite catch the fact that uh, the downtrend revisions, downward revisions for 2023 for, uh, for um, uh, employment numbers have, have been um, downgraded by 443,000 people. That's 40% of the payroll growth in 2023 didn't even, it came from that stupid birth death model that they use. So, you know, they quietly revised last year, but all of the decisions the Fed makes is based upon these numbers that are are crap. So, you know, you're being lied to. You have to search it out yourself. You have to trust your gut because the people that are supposedly looking out for your best interests aren't. And the Fed has done nothing but be wrong uh, and, and not told us the truth, whether it be about the subprime crisis that helicopter Ben told us everything was okay in 08 and a few days later, all hell broke okay. loose. What's that? It's contained. Yeah, it was contained. Or the fact that, you know, inflation, there is none, then it's, it's uh, what's that stupid word they used? Uh, transient. Or, right. And and then, or it's, uh, and then it's structural. And then it's, you know, I mean, nothing they tell us is true. And so I think you have to kind of, you got to kind of sidestep all of the noise and look at the, the trends, look at the big numbers, look what the powerful People who have the script, the central banks are doing, and and they're doing anything but what is conventional. Well, I myself just listened to Andy's weekly Silver Tuesday report to uh, cut through a lot of the noise there. And uh, yeah, I hear you on those pesky central bankers and the different shapes and forms that inflation seems to contort itself into. Reminds me a little bit of the magic bullet theory, but nonetheless... Mm -hmm. um, Andy, uh, one last thing before we wrap up that I did want to go over, a uh, slightly different topic, but in terms of storage, I was wondering if you could walk people through some thoughts on the storage process. Obviously, there's some who go with the mantra, if you don't hold it, you don't own it. At the same time, I would suggest if you have $5 million of silver and gold, maybe you don't want to put that all in your basement. And just especially as there are probably going to be a lot of new people coming into the sector this year, I would imagine. Could you just walk through what you tell people who are in that situation or looking at that and, and perhaps give some of the storage options that are available and any thought process that goes along and how to make some good decisions there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you want to work with a third, if you are going to store. Let's first talk about IRAs for one moment. If you're going to store with an IRA, you want to make sure the depository, because you have to, in an IRA, in a precious metals IRA, you have to utilize a depository. You can take possession of the metal at some point. It's a distribution. It's a taxable event. But that's why you must always have segregated storage. 
Now, there are some fine storage companies out there, but for IRAs, they allocate or pool the silver to the program. In other words, all the Silver Eagles that come in from that IRA program go into one big holding pen, so to speak. And when you request delivery or to sell the Silver Eagles that you bought, you're probably not going to get. You'll get Silver Eagles, but they could very well be a different year, maybe even a different condition. Maybe they're not in pristine condition. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. The point of it is, is that if you're going to utilize storage ever, whether it be in an IRA or not, it is imperative that you you uh, segregated, not allocated, it is segregated specifically to you in your name. I also think third party is important when you're doing it outside of an IRA because we've seen problems before um, where, you know, well, I guess we've seen it in third party too with first state. Now, that guy's a creep and he's going to, to prison, but we've seen other companies like um, Bullion... Bullion Direct, I think was their name in Austin, Texas, $35 million or so that he was storing was absconded with. And so that's why we choose Brinks. We have Brinks facilities all around North America. They are incredibly regimented. They are incredibly by the book. Um, and, you know, in 15 years of working closely with Brinks, I, I've never seen an ounce out of place or raised my voice or felt even concerned slightly. And, and Bix and others who say, if you if you don't hold it, you don't own it, there's validity to that to a degree. The removal of counterparty risk is, is something that is, um, it, it's, it's great if you can do it. You can dig a big hole in your backyard and be a midnight gardener. It's great. Chances are you have a, a better chance of being ripped off by the system than you do by a would-be burglar knowing that you have metal buried in in your backyard or whatnot. But the point I'm getting at is that if you have to store it, you wanna work with a very, very established um, uh, depository like Brinks with a very large balance sheet where what you're storing with them isn't the lifeblood of their business. Um, and third party is good, where there's a wall between who you bought it from and where it's stored. Um, I don't have a problem with storage, but you must, choose segregated completely and totally. And yeah, allocated or pooled will be cheaper, but you get what you pay for. And in a world where I think counterparty risk will be a defining characteristic of the coming years, uh, as a lot of this stuff starts to unwind in the financial markets, if you have to store, just make sure it's with a very reputable company and that it is, is segregated. And um, I think that's about the best you can do. I believe our storage program is the envy of the industry. I do. I think we have worldwide exclusives from Brinks that no one has. And so if you're interested in uh, storage, uh, whether it be with material you already own or buying gold and silver and having it stored, we can certainly help you. Um, certainly just uh, let us know. The, the two websites are Precious Metal Storage, singular, PreciousMetalStorage.net, and privatesafedepositboxes.net. We have two different storage programs, both utilized through Brinks, but in order to eliminate any confusion with the two different programs, one is a safe deposit box program, an exclusive we have inside of two separate Brinks facilities in Canada, Toronto and Vancouver. And the other one, the preciousmetalstorage.net is 
just our broad-based storage program in vaults all around North America, all of them partnered with Brinks. And any thoughts in terms of, do you recommend diversification of storage options? Is that something that you yeah, tell people? Why not? Or? Yeah, I mean, look, you want to remove, you want to remove counterparty risk. Sure, you know, keep some at home, keep some in one storage facility, keep some in another. I mean, yeah, I think spreading things out is is never a bad idea. Um, it may not be necessary, but it's not a bad idea. And I would say hold as much at home as you possibly can before you start to lose sleep at night and whatever uh, above that amount that you want to safeguard, then certainly our Brinks program is great. There are a lot of good storage programs out there. Also a lot of ones that are questionable, the, the private, you know, um, uh, companies that have, you know, in a strip mall, these, these, like the one in California that was raided a few years ago, looking for drugs, these, rinky-dink, fly-by-night, small places or, or, you know, startup companies that don't have a track record, well, you know, they may offer a great rate, but buyer beware. Whatever you do, I think it's important if it were me, I would not keep it on the same premises as the company I bought it from. Now, there are companies out there that probably have storage programs that are very legitimate, but I can tell you using past as prologue, so to speak, the only trouble I've ever seen with storage programs other than first state who just stole from people um, what are those that the dealer held the metal on behalf of the client. So whatever you do, completely segregated, know that where it is, where the, the vault is, know that you have the ability to go and retrieve it. Um, and I think that will give you a very good head start on doing things legitimately and it's also important to note that when you talk about storage expense, it becomes part of the cost basis of the initial investment. So ultimately, when you sell, you add all of the storage expense to your cost basis and it becomes tax deductible. So don't look at the cost as being the determinant factor, You're saving a, you know, a few tenths of a percent working with one storage company over the other. Choose quality, segregation, reputation. Um, and a big company, not meaning me, a big company, Miles Franklin, but a big company like Brinks or like IDS uh, or like Loomis. These are big, big companies that have huge businesses, you know, where they're not dependent on the metal that's being stored with them uh, to keep their doors open. And I think that gives you greater safety as well. Okay. And Makes sense. And I know I said last question before, although it reminds me of something else that we had a viewer write in about. He was noticing a lot of metal scams in Facebook groups. Now, I don't know how often you're on Facebook, but... Never. I'm not on Facebook. Miles Franklin might have a page, but I've never seen it because I don't have a Facebook account. But I wouldn't doubt it. That's the point. Craigslist, Facebook, you know, I mean, look, um, don't be cheap. Don't be cheap with your retirement money, with your savings, with your wealth. Don't. And penny wise and pound foolish. Choose reputation uh, over anything else and balance sheet in, in terms of the facility. But yeah, I think you that's a prime spot for, for scams. Um, I don't know because I'm not on it, but I would think that's a, it's certainly a place where, you know, there would, it would be predatory because where's the oversight? And uh, it's already a federally non-regulated industry. That's why I left my corporation 
in Minnesota, even though I've been in Florida for three years now, because Minnesota is the only state that regulates a non-regulated industry. So, you know, going on a place like Facebook, getting a really good deal, not such a good idea. Um, and, and that's the truth. Imagine this is, uh, you're, you're going to um, trial. You're falsely accused of murder. You're not going to find some fly-by-night company on Facebook or the cheapest entity. You're going to go with the best and the greatest reputation and the best track record. Same thing with the doctor. Who's going to save your life? Well, it shouldn't be any different with what you've worked your ass off to save. And uh, that's truly, truly how I feel. That's why I work with Brinks. I sign every one of those certificates. It's my ass on the line. So I work with Brinks. You know, if I go to do an audit in Brinks, Montreal, and I'm wearing a hoodie sweatshirt with pockets in it, and their vault is freezing cold, they make me take it off when I'm in there because I could shove a coin in my, you know, sweatshirt pocket or whatever. I mean, they, I've worked with them for 15 years and there's no cutting corners with me. Um, and I've delivered over $250 million in, in storage, uh, in, in product to all of our nine vaults. And they don't cut corners. That's the kind of company you want to work with when it's important like this is. So yeah, I, I think that um, storage is very valid for people who want to buy lots of silver, especially because you could have a million dollars worth of gold in your backpack and run to the car. Uh, it's going to weigh 30 pounds, 35 pounds, still going to be heavy, but you could do it. But, you know, a million dollars worth of silver, on the other hand, you know, you're talking... Um, 3,000, I don't know, three, 4,000 pounds. It's, it's not going to be doable. So <clears throat> what do you, that's a couple of pallets moved around by a forklift. So it's, uh, that's the difference. And so if you're going to accumulate that kind of silver without being bogged down with the logistics and the security issues, choose an entity like our Brinks program or, or any other that is legitimate, has a great track record and is 100% segregated and allows you the ability to retrieve it whenever you want to. Yeah, that makes sense, because if you're stacking like me over here, obviously, you want to make sure you have room for your forklift to get in and out. And yeah, and I appreciate you mentioning or touching on the Facebook thing, because the viewer was reporting that he's seen a lot of complaints, people asking for uh, uh, a Zelle or Venmo payment, and then they never hear back. So be careful in Facebook. And at least uh, if you go to a well-known dealership and there's a clear track record of your payment, certainly I think I've never heard of someone going through one of the major ones that we know well, and have been around for a long time and getting stiffed on their metals. So there's that. Well, and I mean, it's happened. It, it It's happened. And those companies went out of business like Tolving and like Northwest territorial mint and, so to say that it never happened isn't fair either. But, you know, as an example, we don't take Zelle or Venmo and any company that does, I would I would think real hard about doing business with them. And, and so fortunately, Zelle and Venmo don't take, you can't do more than a couple thousand bucks per transaction. So while it sucks to lose, it's, you know, people aren't losing millions or even tens of thousands. But here again, you know, it just goes to show when I was talking earlier about the sparse uh, um, allocation to the investment portfolios of, of you know, the wealthiest Americans or anyone in this country for that matter, and, and gold and silver are still relatively unknown. And, you know, it's easy for us to say, well, you know, there's all these, there's JM Bullion, SD Bullion, and Miles Franklin, and Kitco, and yada, yada, yada. 
a lot of people have no idea where to go. And, and so I suppose Facebook groups is a logical place for them. But for those out there who, you know, you're new to this, yeah, you definitely want to work with a company that has track. When, look, when you're buying a commodity, it's, 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 it's homogenous, right? It, it, a McDonald's hamburger tastes the same in Florida as it does in, in Minneapolis. It's the same. What you're dealing with when you talk about a commodity where it's the same no matter where you buy, buy it is, is you buy the person, you buy the company, you buy the, the depository, you buy quality. And, you know, you like like eBay was founded upon reputation. You screw someone, you get a very bad reputation, you get blackballed. You go and buy on eBay and someone has 5,000 transactions and not one, you know, negative remark you buy from them, you instantly trust. And the same thing is true. We've never had a customer or a, a, a um, material customer complaint. Sure, we've made people angry. We try to make it right. Everyone makes mistakes. I believe a person or a company is defined by how they make it right, not by the fact that they've never made a mistake. That's a lie. Everyone does. Everyone screws up. But if you make it right, you accept responsibility, then that's, that's to me, the the defining characteristic of, of a good person or a good business, but you know, don't cut corners. It's not worth it. And that's how bad things happen. Alrighty. Well, in closing, Andrew, uh, anything on special today? I heard, I heard we had something so hot that it would give Jake's custom parts. Uh, well, I don't want to say the guy's going to faint. Uh, although he might have to sit down to eat his pizza to handle this special is it true that you have something that is that hot yeah but i'm very concerned there's a mysterious hand behind you and on the on that silver bar and, and oh there it is look at that that's a good trick you got there uh yeah we're gonna do and this is just for arcadia only at this point we're gonna do uh, uh silver eagle mint boxes at 449 over and um uh There'll be 2023s until we run out of them. 2024s are still a week or two away. They're coming. Uh, but 2023 mint boxes or backdate, uh, fully sealed mint boxes, $4.49 an ounce over the price of silver. For Arcadia listeners only. The Jake mint box special. I can imagine he's like one of the kids sleeping outside the iPhone store waiting for those 2024s. But uh, anyway, I thought that would make him smile and Certainly uh, for people who like eagles and uh, getting in large quantities. So there you have it. So I thank you for all of the information, Andrew. And you got it, brother. Um, I know you're excited about the Fed and Janet Yellen and all that good stuff, which um, inspires confidence throughout the financial system. But we'll deal with it all as best as we can. And thanks for making some time and shedding some insight. And uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you again soon. I appreciate you, brother. Look forward to catching up with you soon. Thanks for having me. See you next week.